at chapter 3, and let's start by reading verses 1 through 12. Uh, this is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to uh, Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the Lord of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, we, you know, 12 verses here, there's a lot to look at, um, but there are mainly two things that I want to talk about today. Pastor Laramie spoke on, or he preached on, verses 1 through 6 last week. And I thought he did a great job uh, preaching on the holiness of God and also the faithfulness of God to us. Um, the things that I want to uh, cover today within these two passages. First of all, I want to look at the manifestation of God in the burning and in the burning bush. And then I also want to look at God's omniscience and also his eminence uh, for his people. When I say omniscience, I mean his all knowing attribute. And when I say his eminence, I mean how, how close he is to us, his intimacy to his people. Uh, so those are the, the uh, two things that I want to look at today. Now, we have to understand that this passage is part of a larger passage. And that larger passage encompasses the call of Moses to deliver the Israelites from, the, from Egyptian oppression. And, and that passage is basically from chapter 3 and most of chapter, uh, most of chapter 4. Now, there's something to notice here about this story in Exodus. Uh, it slows down substantially today. Uh, if you were to go back and reread chapters 1 and 2, it would be hard to understand that those two chapters cover over 80 years. So it is like fast forward through those two chapters. 
Those two, uh, the first two chapters in Exodus cover over 80 years. Now the remaining 38 chapters of Exodus, uh, they cover approximately 40 years. So as you can see, we're going to slow down a lot here. But um, there's something important in knowing that. When we talk about Moses and when he is called here, he is 80 years old when he's called to do something for the Lord. And I thought, wow, that's a sermon within itself. That's that's amazing to me. You know, 80 years old. I'm I'm 40 years old uh, now. And I I just thought like, wow, I, I can't imagine the Lord coming to me when I'm 80 years old and say, I have something new for you to do. And it teaches me something. I hope it teaches us something about God. And it's this. God can do anything with a life at any time. I I just thought it was amazing when I saw that he can do anything with a life at any time. Let's think about it here. At the point where Moses is called to uh, deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt or to be God's vessel to do that. Um, here, Moses is a, first of all, he's 80 years old. Uh, second of all, he's, he's considered a murderer. He's a fugitive. And, and he's, a, he's a shepherd. And yet, God comes to him and says, it's time for you to do your work. I just thought, you know, it's never too late. It's never too late because sometimes we look at our loved ones. We see those that we know, maybe those that we've been witnessing to for a very long time. And we come to the conclusion that God cannot do something with them. Never, never believe that. God can do anything he wants at any time. Our job is to be faithful in delivering the gospel and ministering to those people. And praying, praying that God moves and and, and sometimes you may feel that way in your own life where you're, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the age I am and I haven't attained anything. I haven't done what I wanted to do. Let me tell you, it's not too late. It's not too late because you serve a mighty, mighty God. This passage here also teaches us that God is not out of touch with his creation. He's not out of touch. He's not a God who created everything and then just... Let it and put it on automatic or autopilot and, 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 you know, just let his creation go about by itself. Rather, he is he is he is involved in his creation. He is not out of touch. Uh, he is working things to a definite end. And that is something that we see throughout the Bible. God is always in control, even when things seem to be in chaos. And the same is true for our lives. It may seem that our lives are going out of control. They may be out of our control, but they are never out of God's control. He is always working things to a definite end. And that brings us to our sermon summary. The sermon summary is this. God knows our struggles. And for those who love God, all things work together for good. I'll repeat that. God knows our struggles, and for those who love God, all things work together for good. If you'll notice, I borrowed from Romans 8.28, because I I just love that passage, and I believe it to be true. God knows our struggles, and and for those who love God, all things work together for good. And and going back to our our passage, I actually want to start kind of in the middle. I want to start with verse 6. And then, uh, then we'll look at verses 1 through 6, and then we'll look at verses 7 through 12. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse by verse, because we'd be here for a very long time if I did that this morning. But rather, I, I want to look at it um, from a bird's eye view to see what we can, uh, what we can learn from these two passages, uh, or 
what we can learn from this passage itself. So when we look at verse 6, God introduces himself to Moses, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, if we're reading the Bible, and and we we may just read right through that and, and not even blink an eye at it, but it is a significant passage. It's so significant that Jesus himself uh, talks about this passage in Mark chapter 12. Um, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking uh, and he is being asked about the dead being raised. In Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, uh, Jesus says, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So that passage is very significant in the fact that, uh, that God introduces himself to Moses as the God of the living and not the God of the dead. You think about that and you think, wow, as he watched over their forefathers, God is saying to Moses, as he watched over their forefathers and was faithful to them, God is saying to Moses, I will be faithful to you and to the people that you will lead out of Egypt. In other words, God is saying, in the most layman terms that I can put them, I got your back. You don't have to worry because I'm going to be faithful to you. Those who trust in me, even though they have died, they still live. That's how faithful I am. You know, I think we've all been in a situation where, you know, you and your buddies or you and your friends or maybe even family members, even if maybe if you were little, they talked you into doing something. And they and the reason why or how they talked you into doing something was they assured you that they had your back. Right. They're like, no, you can do this. If you get in trouble, I got your back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm here for you. What they didn't explain is that they got your way back. Right. They're way back there. When things, when things get ugly, they, you can't find them. That is not the case with God. When God says, I will be faithful, you can guarantee he will be faithful. And he has been faithful to us. It's hard for us to be faithful just to one person. And what I mean by that is to always be there for that one person for everything. It's hard for us because we're human nothing for God he is completely faithful to us in everything and think about it it's not just to us it'd be enough it were just one person but he's faithful to all of his children every day all the time God is good he is good you see when God says that he would be faithful to Moses and the nation of Israel the same stands true for his children today God has always remained faithful to you in spite of you not being faithful to him. And I could say the same thing about myself. He has been faithful to me even though I have not been faithful to him. I think Pastor Laramie did a great job explaining that last week. You see, he has promised. He has promised on himself. If you were in Sunday school this morning, that should sound familiar to you because Brother Eric was, was, was talking about that. The, the, the covenant agreement that God made upon himself 
So he has promised on himself to never leave those who trust in Christ. So, yes, he is the God of the living. And those who find him will live life to the fullest. Because he is faithful. He is wonderful. And he gives us he gives us that life. He is our treasure and he is our portion forever. But as we go back a little bit and we look at verses one through six as a whole, uh, you know, it's, it's very important that we see the significance of the burning bush here. When God appears in the Bible, it's called a theophany. I want to spell that for you if you're taking notes. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. A theophany. So God appearing to Moses here at this point is a theophany. And what a theophany is, it's a physical appearance. A physical appearance, or it may be a personal manifestation of God to a person. Now, you all know me by now. I need to make things very, very simple. So I, I you know, that's, that's the, the, the book terminology. That's the book definition. And I started to think, how can a theophany make sense to me? And, and here's the Ricky Garcia definition. A theophany is a visible manifestation of the invisible God to man for a given purpose. That's how it makes sense to me. I'll repeat that. A theophany is a visible manifestation of the invisible God to man for a given purpose. So God decides that he's going to appear to Moses And there's a reason for it. So anytime we see a theophany in the Bible, it's important that we stop, study it, read it, because that is a very significant event. Very significant event. So the purpose for today's theophany that we see here in Exodus chapter 3 is that Moses, uh, that God is, is going to call Moses to a specific task. He's going to announce to Moses that to save the nation of Israel, and he's going to use Moses to do it. So again, very important, uh, uh, significant event here in this uh, chapter of Exodus. Now, you may ask, well, this whole thing about a theophany, why is a theophany needed? Well, we have to remember that a theophany is needed because the Bible says, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. That's what God says. I'll repeat that. God says, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. God's speaking about his true essence. No one can see the true essence of God until they are glorified. Right? We cannot see that. And the only way we are glorified is when God decides to do that, after we have left this world. But to see the true essence of God, uh, we cannot see him and live. You see, God is not revealed to us in ordinary sight, but chooses to reveal himself in theophanies. Now, there are different types of theophanies, uh, are kinds of them, at least in the major form. I, I, I see three of them that, that occur in the Bible very often. First of all, he takes human form sometimes. In Exodus 24, 10, uh, we see him take a human form. Uh, Jacob testified that he had seen God face to face. That was Genesis 32. Uh, on Mount Horeb, it was the experience of Moses to speak to God face to face. We see that in, in, in the Bible. 
And just as a man, uh, or excuse me, he speaks to God face to face as just as a man speaks to his friend. And then also in the same passage, now many of you remember this passage, uh, when Moses begged God to show him his glory in verse 18 of Exodus 33, the Lord graciously granted Moses a vision of himself. You remember that? He says, I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face you will not, will, my, but my face will not be seen. So he shows himself in human form. God also shows himself uh, in visions. Uh, one of the most famous visions that we all know as Christians is Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of that just so that we can, we can get a glimpse of what Isaiah saw. Uh, Isaiah, he said, he saw that the Lord was sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered his face, and with two they covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And listen to this. Isaiah said, Woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I, have, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My friends, that is a vision. That is not even the fullness of God. That is the vision. And notice Isaiah's reaction. He's like, I'm dead. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way I can live through this. I don't know why I'm still alive right now. He's probably, he was thinking to himself, I should be dead. But why not? Because it was a theophany. God was showing himself to Isaiah for a given purpose. You see, um, the Lord does that in visions. And he also does it in non-human forms. So there, there are the three. Human form, in visions, and in non-human forms. The non-human form would be our example today, the burning bush. Um, also, non-human form would be how God led the nation of Israel through the desert um, by fire and by cloud. So we must understand that the glory of the Lord appears to people in numerous passages, in different ways, as he sees fit. Now, here are two important questions that we have to answer uh, just to make sure we have things clear and that we understand that we have good theology. And the first question is this, was Jesus a theophany? I think that's very important. You see, the incarnate Christ, God in the flesh, was not, and indeed, I can say, is not. Right? We can't just use past tense with Christ. For he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf today. He lives, right? So Christ, the incarnate Christ, was not and is not a theophany. The thing about theophanies is that they were temporary. They were for the occasion that required them. They were here today, and in most cases, gone that same day. They were there for the occasion, and then they disappeared. On the other hand, the incarnate Christ, his deity, and humanity were joined, not for that time alone, 
but for eternity. That's why Jesus is not a theophany. Now here's the second question. Do theophanies still happen today? I will say no, they do not. Now I know I have charismatic friends who will disagree with me here, but I I can say for myself, I understand that this is a resounding no, and, and I get my reasoning and my proof from the Bible itself. I can say no because Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. Colossians chapter 1 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, theophanies were followed by an important message. Again, it was a significant event to get someone's attention, and then something important was said. Now today, on this side of heaven, The Bible says that God has spoken to us by his son. In Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, it says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Listen to this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Christ is not a theophany. Theophanies do not happen today because we have, God has been revealed in his son. You see, that's why we don't need a sign about what God's going to do in our lives. Because we have Christ. We have Christ and his power and his resurrection and his interceding for us. We have him and that's all we need for eternity. He is sufficient. He is enough for us. He has given us what we need for this life and more. Now, when we go back to the importance of this theophany, uh, I, I, I like to we can see that this theophany has a symbolic message. There's a symbolic message to the burning bush here. I like what Matthew Henry says. He says, the bush burned and yet was not consumed. He says, it was an emblem of the Israelites in bondage in Egypt. They were burning yet not consumed. They were perplexed, but not in despair. They were cast down, but not destroyed. You see, ultimately... I think this could be seen as God's holy presence within his covenant people. God being the consuming fire and, of course, the bush being the nation of Israel or his covenant people. And as I said, he is a consuming fire. The Bible tells us that. And he is alive in us, and yet we are not consumed. And that is only made possible by grace. And we owe that to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For his act of mercy on the cross. I know we don't think about this much, but it's a big deal that we are called children of God. I think it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a child of God. We just say we just say it. But if we really sat down to think about it. That is huge. We 
don't deserve to be called children of God. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve anything that we have, and yet God is faithful to us. It's amazing. Just looking at that and, and, and how God, how he showed himself to Moses and just the grace that is present there. We talk about, you know, we've talked about Moses, where he was in his life here. You know, there are many people who are burdened with the fact that they have to be good enough for God. And yet we see Moses, who again is a murderer. He's a runaway. He's in a desert. He's a shepherd. He's in, in the eyes of the world. He is nobody. In fact, he thinks this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I've messed things up so much so that I can't go back. I can't do anything else. And yet God appears to him at this time. What a merciful God we serve. That reminds me of when I was 19 years old and I was in Moses' place. I was a murderer. I was a cheat. I was a liar. I was all those things. God saved me. The same is true for you at the point of your conversion. You didn't deserve God, and yet he saved you. How wonderful he is. Now that we've talked about the theophany itself, let's talk about the reason for it. I think the reason, or I shouldn't say I think, the reason for the theophany is revealed in verses 7 through 12. And talking about his faithfulness and his mercy, this, this verse is kind of just, I don't know, it just overcomes me. Here God wanted to show Moses, or he wanted Moses to know something very, very important. And again, I have to go back to talking about this situation, where Moses was. We've talked about him enough, but let's talk about the nation of Israel, where they were. They had been suffering for a very long time. Apparently they had been praying for a very long time and things didn't get better. They got worse. Come on, you can all, you know how that is, right? When you, you have something that's bad and you pray and it does not get better. And you would think only if it just stayed the same, but it gets worse. And you're like, I don't understand what's going on here. God, are you here? Do you hear me? God, are you present in my life? God, are you able to help me? Those are some of the questions that may that you may ask him. We wonder, where is he in all this? I guarantee that's what these Israelites were asking. The nation of Israel was asking, where is God? And with this theophany, him appearing before Moses, he's saying, I'm right here. I've always been here. I've never left. I will always be here. Despite how you are, I will always be here. You see, God wanted Moses to know the following. He tells Moses, I have seen the afflictions of my people. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. 
He says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Not only that, but he says that he knows their suffering. And he has come down, meaning he has descended to deliver them from their afflictors. And he has decided to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land. That was the reason why he appeared to Moses, to give him that message. Now, put ourselves in Moses' shoes here. Let's think about, let's think about those times in our lives when, when we prayed and things just got worse and got worse and got worse and got worse and we, we don't have the answers. And then all of a sudden, the very next moment, what was getting worse and what was getting worse just stops and it automatically gets better. Remember that feeling that you had. I, I, I picture Moses feeling that way. God showing himself and telling Moses, I have seen the afflictions. I have heard your cry. I know your suffering. I have come down to deliver you. And I'm going to bring you out of this land to a good and broad land. You know, that's the wonderful thing about God. And this is where we talk about his imminence. How he loves us and how intimately, how intimate he is with us. The wonderful thing about God is that he knows the struggle of his children. Not only does he know their struggle, but more importantly, he cares deeply about them. And the reason why he cares so deeply about them is for the sake of his glorious name. So we can conclude that he knows our struggles because we are counted as his children through faith. He cares deeply for us. And for the sake of his glorious name, he will not let us be destroyed. As I was reading different passages to come up with a title for this message. That's, you know, honestly, that's one of the hardest things to do when you're preaching and preparing a, a, a passage or preparing a sermon is to come up with a title. See, Brother Lamy said, hey, man, this is so difficult. You want it to be catchy, but you don't want it to be cheesy. So you got to get it somewhere in between. Of course, you don't want it to be heretical either. So it's, it's very difficult to come up with a title. But I was very fortunate. And you'll notice a lot of the times my titles are from other passages. Case in point today. I was reading Psalm 34, which is, has become my favorite psalm at least for this week. <laughs> but it has become my favorite psalm because it is wonderful. And in speaking about, you know, our topic today, I want to read you Psalm 34, verses 15 through 22. So encouraging. It, this is so good. Psalm 34, verses 15 to 22. And it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. 
I want you to listen to this and be thinking about the prayers that you've been offering up to God. I want you to be thinking about that as you hear this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Listen here, verse 17. But when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. See, I think it's very important for us to hear those words. It's very important for us to, to see what Moses was seeing. To understand, rather, what Moses was seeing. And to understand what it means for us. If God is appearing to Moses with this message that he has, he has seen their affliction, he has heard their cry, he knows their suffering, he has, he has come down to deliver them and he's going to take them to a good and broad land. If we see how faithful God is with Moses, the one thing we have in common with Moses is that we are counted as God's children. So that means, therefore, God is faithful with us in the same way. And we must note that what God has done for the Israelites, he has also done for us who trust in Christ. You say, where is your proof? I'm suffering right now, and, and God, hasn't, God hasn't done that for me. Well, listen to this. If you are a children of God, listen to this. He has seen your sin. Right? The Bible is very clear about that. That we can fool each other. We can, we can be deceiving, we can act apart, but God, God judges the heart. There's not one thing that God doesn't know about you. He, has, he can see your sin. So he has seen our sin, but not only that, it would be terrible if he just saw our sin and there was nothing else to follow that, but he has heard our cry for our Savior. Because if you are in Christ, there has to be a time, a place, a moment when you cried out for a Savior. He heard that. He knows our suffering that is caused by sin, but he knows our suffering. Listen to this. He has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our sin and as he promised to Moses this good and broad land, he has promised to take us to be with him forever and ever. Our God is good. He is faithful. And we can't point to ourselves for the reason why God is good to us. Again, 
it is, it is based only on his mercy, his own goodness. This, preparing this message was a blessing for me. I hope it was a blessing for you to hear it. And I hope you grab onto it by faith. Because there are times in life when life does not make any sense. And it feels like you've been passed over. It feels like you're done. It feels like this is it. It's not going to get any better from here on out. You know what? And if that's the case, praise God. Because we're, we are told to praise God in, no, in, in all things in life, right? In all matters of situations, in all circumstances. But the wonderful thing is, even if that's as good as it gets here on earth, it is not the end. Because God has put a great hope into our hearts. That what we deal with now, it's temporary. But what we have in store for us in heaven with him, well, that's eternal. And that's what we need to focus on. God has heard our cry. He has decided to do something about it. He is with us. And as we always like to say, if he is for us, then who can stand against us? Let us pray.